What's up, everybody? Thank you for stopping by, checking out episode three of the Football for Thought podcast. Took a couple weeks off. The NFL draft wiped me out. I was kind of pooped. My mock draft went to shit. Maybe took it a little personal. You know, I act like I don't care, but deep down, we all care. If you care about your opinion, it bothers you when you bomb so horribly. And since I'm going public with my opinions, maybe it hurt a little bit more than it probably hurt you. So I got in my feelings a little bit. That's okay. And not to mention, I don't know. I kind of wanted to do this podcast because you don't have a boss. It's not a job. It's kind of appealing that way. You don't have anybody like a producer giving you the format, telling you what gets viewers and clicks. So it just didn't, it didn't appeal to me. The whole draft grades, post draft, it's all arbitrary. It really is. We won't know shit until at least the end of this year. We'll have an idea. And then in three years, four years, five years, when the rookie contracts are up, we'll know who the ballers are from this draft. It's just, to me, it's as simple as that. Maybe not to you. And maybe you were looking forward to some draft grades. Not me. Mm-mm. Couldn't do it. And I fought. I fought myself. I thought, think big picture here, Mike. It's smart. Just join the club. Everybody's doing draft grades, but I'm a contrarian by nature. It's just in my DNA. It's a part of me, just like my right hand. So when everybody zigs, I zag. I kind of did that here. I kind of wanted to lap both, I guess, maybe not draft grades, but off-season grades and 20... What are we in? Yeah, the 2022 season. So I want to do it like a season preview. Lump them all together. I can kind of talk about your team. Give you the positive vibes that I'm feeling, the negative vibes. I'm not going to, you know, try to predict maybe an overall record. But I'll, I'll, I'll go through all the shit, the important shit. And I'll put it out there, what I think the storylines are for the upcoming season who I see as up-and-coming teams, where I think your team ranks in the division specific to this season. So I'm excited to get into that. How's everybody doing, though? I hope everybody's okay. This is a crazy time. This really is. You know, I'm close to 40. I've been through... I've been through some stuff, I think, in life. It's molded me. Lots of ups and downs, like everybody else. And then just world shit that maybe you don't think will affect you as much as it does. You know, Corona has been crazy. Like things are starting to go back to normal slowly. And hopefully everybody's doing well and their families are doing well. But it's just, even when it goes back to normal, it's never going to go away. At least for me, it's in, it's in my head. It affects everything. I lost my job because of it, so still haven't been right because of that. 
but I really am trying to immerse myself into this podcast. Eventually, I'll figure out what sticks. Maybe have a a better format for you. Um, but right now, this is just this is really to get it on record. It's a documentation. So hopefully, eventually, when you come back to this. Maybe historically I'll be correct on this one as opposed to my mock draft. Um, but I am excited to give the 2022 season preview, off-season review type deal. So let's get into it. We're going to start in the NFC. It's where the reigning champs are, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So it's only fitting we go there. And we'll go right to the East. The Washington football team. I'm going to start with how everybody finished last year. And since Washington won the NFC East last year, surprisingly, I'd bet you less than 5% of the experts had Washington pegged to win the division. Probably less than 2%. Who the fuck am I kidding? That was the wildly unpopular choice for the division winner, and rightfully so. They had to fight through... Dwayne Haskins, pretending like he wanted it, only to be found at the most high-end titty club in the D.C. area, throwing 50s on titties like it was nobody's business. It's great for the strippers. The dancers made out that night. The club promoters, everybody made out that night. Huge success for them. Not so much for the football team. They had the team name change. Snyder tried to stick it to the league. Big fuck you, NFL. Not going to name my team the Red Flyers or the Bobcats. We're going to be the football team because I'm a jerk and I'm Daniel Snyder and I rip everybody off. Fuck you, pay me. Not going to lie. Kind of love that attitude. That's Bobby from Billionaires. But in terms of football culture, mm, you're really, really trying to guide your coaches away from the kind of culture you want. But Ron Rivera kind of rose above, did an excellent, excellent job last year, rising above all the shit. And they came out on top. And, you know, they were the worst division in football. Nobody's going to argue that. Um, a lot of particular circumstance, excuse me, a lot of circumstance is involved in that, obviously. The DAC injury, um, the Eagles debacle, the Giants and the Daniel Jones regression, first year head coach and Joe Judge, all of that really played into effect. I like the division a lot this year. Everybody's improved, in my opinion, including the football team. So key off-season free agents. They went right away. Everybody knew that Terry McLaurin needed a running mate. We didn't know how they were going to attack that. Were they going to go after Kenny Galladay, who ended up in the division regardless? But they went Curtis Samuel. Ron Rivera had a history there. Went with the athletic playmaking 
jet sweep underneath run after catch Curtis Samuel, who I really like. I think he's a nice compliment to Terry McLaurin. The other big move was Fitzmagic. And <laughs> again, this is going to be at the contrarian point of view. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick and guys like Nick Foles and these quote-unquote backup types, fringe starters, I think they're good quarterbacks. I really do. And I think Fitz showed you last year what he can do with a team that's at least decent on one side of the ball. And Miami was more than decent on the defensive side, but they were a mess on offense. Chan Galley, last year's offensive coordinator, has since been fired. Or he chose to resign. I can't remember which way it went, but it's all semantics. Um, he's gone for a reason. And I think Fitzpatrick played through much like what the football team played through last year. A lot of turmoil and shit and just grinding through it, being a leader, providing energy. And I kind of love that about him. Um, I think it's the little things about quarterbacks that most people don't place value on. And maybe I'm misspeaking there, but I think a lot of people misjudge the type of value they should place on the intangibles, like leadership and energy, because that stuff creates momentum. Like, how many times did you go to work and you just, you can't fucking stand Ron? And you can't stand Janice? Like, there's these people. Oh, I just hit the mic. Excuse me. There's these people. And they're in everybody's workplace. You just don't like working with them. They bring a bad energy. They make the day incrementally tougher to get through. And then there's people like Fitzmagic who everybody's high-fiving when they come into the door. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick still has the arm talent. He obviously has the IQ. And he can do the Fitz tragic thing on you real quick. So that's never lost on me. But I like to talk about the things that are valuable. The things that he can screw up on. They're always there for every quarterback. They all have their bugaboos and their shortcomings. But Fitzmagic should be talked about in a different light, in my opinion. He's always the running joke. I think people get excited for him, but not for the right reasons. Like They don't take him serious, you know? He's the friend that gets drunk and pisses himself. That's how I view how the public views Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I honestly think with this culture here built in Washington with Terry McLaurin, with, uh, oh my God, I always forget the converted tight end, Logan Thomas, kind of coming into the position last year, came on late, and I think really showed some potential. I kind of like the Ryan Fitzpatrick signing just because of the roster. 
And then the football team, at least in free agency, it came late. It came after the draft. But they brought in Charles Leno. He's been a steady starter for the Bears. And, you know, we can definitely call him average. He might be the definition of average, but guy has a lot of experience. He's tough. He doesn't miss games. I like the signing. Eric Flowers came via trade the day of, I think, day one. I think it came right before day one kicked off. It's a nice little trade. That's kind of where he shifted inside originally. Um, the New York Giants cut him. It didn't work out at left tackle. Washington, then the Redskins, uh, gave Flowers some run. He played the rest of the year, played well enough for Miami to offer him a deal. Now they sent him back to the football team, the now football team. So I like the move. There's familiarity there, maybe not with this coaching staff, but I do think it's a big deal when players shift cities. Are they comfortable? Can you get the best from them? So I think because Flowers has excelled there before, minimal risk, high floor type of deal at a position of need like it. Um, then you go to the defensive side of the ball. This is where they kind of spent big money. Um, they let Ronald Darby walk. He goes to Denver. They replaced Darby with a younger, more talented cover corner, in my opinion, in William Jackson III from the Bengals. I, I just love the signing. When you got a front four and a front seven like Washington on defense, you need cover guys. And guys like him look a whole hell of a lot better in coverage than when they're playing on the Bengals if they can't get a rush, like since he's struggled with. So I expect a big year from William Jackson III. Great signing. Doesn't matter to me. I, I could have wrote down the length and the numbers in the contract. I'm not going to be Adam Schefter on this pod. I'm really not. Um, I do the homework personally. If I don't remember it, I won't bring it up. I don't remember it. I think it was in the neighborhood of like 30-something with 28 guaranteed, 30-something mil with 28 guaranteed. Regardless, doesn't matter. Great signing, young player, um, just like the move. They got a depth guy in David Mayo, that linebacker. Eh. Signed Bobby McCain after Miami. Cut him post-draft. Again, this was the team captain on Miami's defense, which says a lot. They got a lot of guys. Um, I think that was a real solid move by them. And then you go to the draft. This is where I'm kind of torn. Because after day one, even though I didn't know how to say his fucking name, I was calling him Jamin Davis, Jamin Davis. It's Jamin Davis. Linebacker from Kentucky, uber-athletic. Great instincts, tackles well. Going to have to learn the NFL game, so he's going to struggle probably at times, obviously. But um, I liked the pick after day one. After having time to sit on it, I would have so much rather Washington had taken a gamble and drafted my boy from Virginia Tech, Caleb Farley. Because I just imagine what that defense would look like you know, you have Young and Sweat pushing the edge, making quarterbacks really have to think twice about holding onto the ball, really getting after it in the run game, 
You got Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, Matt Ioannidis, just together as a collective unit, just making life hell. So then you, you look on that back end, and you got William Jackson the third there, and I think that was an opportunity to really just go for it and say, man, we are going to be in elite defense for years to come. And you got a lot of guys still on young rookie contracts. I think it could have worked out. I'm not trying to bash the Jamin Davis pick. Definitely a need. I think they could have went linebacker in round two. Um, that's just my opinion. There were guys there that I liked. Nick Bolton being one of them, just as a name. Sure, there's others. Um, I know there's others where Washington picked. Um, where they got, let's see, what's his name? Samuel Cosme from Texas. I think they got him with the 51st pick. Let me double check that. Sorry. I'm very often going to get off topic. Yeah, 51st pick. I know I was going through the additions in the offseason, but yeah, just stay with me. This doesn't need to be a real serious thing or format. We're going to get through each team, trust me, no matter how long it takes. But going back to the draft, I, th I just think it's, it was important just for the context of the conversation here to give my feelings on their first round pick. Um, Martin Mayhew, it's funny, we know... We know there, there was a lot of new coaches, new general managers paired with those coaches this offseason. I don't exactly remember the number. I think it was seven coaches, GMs, like first-timers. or I, I could be way off on that, but I know it was a significant amount. I know it was more than four. And, you know, George Payton. Why do I know George Payton's name? It just comes to me like that. Some of them had more headline news than others. I guess because of draft position. Peyton had the ninth pick. Um, Terry Fontenot, first-time GM with the Falcons, had the fourth pick. So I understand. But Martin Mayhew is the only new GM that I'm aware of who had uh, previous experience in the general manager's chair. So I think it's interesting that probably not a, pe a lot of people are aware that he's the new GM, the new guy in Washington. So, you know, I wasn't a big fan of, I mean, nobody was a big fan of his work in Detroit. That was his uh, first time running a show. He failed, I think that's fair to say. But he wasn't all terrible. He, you know, he found some players. I think he found a player in Jamin Davis. I just think he really could have hit a home run with Caleb Farley at 19. Provided extreme value to the football team. Actually, was was that 19? Did, did Washington trade down a few spots? Doesn't matter. I'm going to check it out just in case. No, it was the 19th pick. Okay. At 19, I still think Farley is just a steal there. Because I'm, at one point, he was talked about in the top 10. And that wasn't even just like, maybe. That was like pretty, pretty much a consensus view. And then 
you know, more information came out and how teams were uncomfortable with the injury history and possible maturity issues. The way, you know, you never want to blame somebody for getting COVID, but you can't help when you make it to the next, you know, the next level. When you come to the league and you're a pro, you got to act like a pro. Even before you get drafted. If your name is in the NFL draft, you're not going around people that aren't taking care of themselves. You know your friends. You know your friends. You know your family. You know who's putting sanitizer on and washing their hands. And you know who's not. So, again, hopefully Caleb Farley is fine. All the reports say he is fine. But I think he got knocked for silly shit. Obviously, the injuries, you have a concern. But look, all these guys are risky, right? You're taking a risk no matter what. And it's more of a risk when you take somebody who's damaged goods. But I don't view Caleb Farley that way. I really have a high, high opinion of him. And for me, personally, I would have felt very comfortable taking him at 19. And clearly, I think a shutdown corner as should you think a shutdown corner, is more valuable than even a three-down linebacker who's very good. I don't think Jamin Davis is ever going to be Luke Keekly great, excellent game changer, which is why I kind of am a little bit critical of the pick. But he'll play Will for them, in my opinion. He'll, he'll be the Will linebacker. Maybe, maybe he'll be the Mike. And it's a good pick. It was a pick of need. So just wanted to put my two cents in there. Maybe it's to bash uh, Martin Mayhew, or maybe it's just to be honest. I think it's the latter. And as I alluded earlier, um, Samuel Cosme, another player at a position of need. Obviously, this was a good strategy, safe strategy by Mayhew. your, Your two biggest needs on both sides of the ball were linebacker and left tackle. Samuel Cosme, I haven't done a lot of film work on him, but I can see at 51 why they probably were thrilled that he was there. He's probably going to compete this year with Leno and maybe Jerron Christian. Maybe it'll be those three in the mix for left tackle. Cosme has a real chance to just win it outright. Leno's got that experience. So Cosme has his work cut out for him, but you never know with these kids, man. A lot of times you watch a kid on film and you don't see that anchor in pass pro. You don't see that natural strength consistently enough for you to feel comfortable. But at 21, 22 years old, some of them 20, you know, they get this NFL weight room strength very early and they just show micro improvements each week because they're youthful and they're growing still. So that could be the case for Cosme and that could be a steal at 51. So in round three, the football team went cornerback, which I did think was a need still. And they went with the tall, long Benjamin St. Juice. I think that's how you say it. Maybe not with that enthusiasm. From Minnesota, 6'3", 200. 
that's a lot of length, almost six, three and a half. So very interesting, very interesting kid. Be honest with you. I probably only have seen a highlight film, so I don't have much to offer in terms of the scouting report and the draft profile, but I just like the pick. I know it was well-received in the third round. I think some people probably had a late second round grade on them, so well done, football team. Also in the third round, the football team had two third round picks. Don't know, don't care how they got them. Just reading you off what they have. Um, dynamic Diami Brown. Diami, Diami. I'm definitely getting it wrong one way or the other, but whatever way is the proper way to say his name, I'm going to go with Diami. Diami Brown. Damn, that's hard to say. Of North Carolina. Um, I know Chris Sims was really high on him. I watched him film. I like what I saw. Some people had comps to Terry McLaurin. I think Terry McLaurin is Diami. Yeah, I'm going to butcher this one. Fuck. Fuck it. It's easier for me to say Diami. So I'm going to go Diami Brown. Sorry if it's wrong there, Diami. But um, people had Terry McLaurin comps. I didn't see that. You know, I don't think you could just go six foot speed. Boom, boom Terry McLaurin. Um, I saw... Terry McLaurin is more of a complete receiver coming out of Ohio State with more size, um, more muscle definition. Diami is a, is a little bit thinner, I think, in my opinion. Not I think, I know. Um, the scale shows it, but just looking at him, he's just thin, um, which is fine. He's a third-round pick. He's in a crowded room, but I love it. And I think Fitz is really going to have fun with these weapons that they have. It's a certain major upgrade in the receiving room this year in Washington. Terry McLaurin's going to be happy for it. Logan Thomas is going to be happy for it. Antonio Gibson is going to be happy for it, as is Fitz. Um, they really re rebuilt this offense, in my opinion, and I think they'll take leaps. In round four, they stayed on offense. This was a tight end that wasn't talked about hardly at all. I don't know if round four was a consensus reach. I loved it. John Bates of Boise State, just a complete tight end. In my opinion, the best tight end or the best blocking tight end in this draft. And again, that's just my opinion. But I see this guy just uproot guys and... He takes pride in his blocking, and I think that's going to be very valuable in year one. Uh, I think he'll get a lot of reps. You know, if he could stay injury-free, pick up the offense. He doesn't have much competition. Logan Thomas will be their flex tight end if they run two tight end sets. John Bates will do the dirty work, and he's got soft hands. You know, he's not the best athlete. He's not fast, but he's sneaky. And he works tight spaces pretty well from a route running standpoint. He's precise. You can count on him to hit landmarks. Um, and I believe in his hands and his ability to just make tough contested catches and be a smart player. So I love the pick in round four. Then, I, you know, I'm not going to go six through seven. I don't know shit about a lot of these guys. I don't go as deep as the draft next do. I'm not going to apologize for it either. 
but I think it's not important. If these guys show something, I'll talk about them next year, you know? Um, but in round five, I really only watched a highlight film on this player, but Derek Forrest, since or a safety from Cincinnati. Um, he's a hitter, plays at the line of scrimmage, probably more athletic than people realize, but he's not, not much to offer in terms of speed, explosion. Uh, you know, he's fine. He's just, it's, that's not where he stands out. So, um, I think fifth round is, is a pretty nice spot for him. He adds to that, to that safety depth. I think, uh, overall looking at what Washington did, they even drafted a long snapper in the sixth round, young gentleman by the name of Cameron Cheeseman, Cam Cheeseman. Damn, what a name, but you don't see that very often a long snapper getting drafted. So I thought that was interesting. They shored up all three areas of the football field, special teams, defense, offense, well-balanced, kind of a sleeper, Shaka Tony, pass rush specialist in the seventh round. I know a little bit about him, Penn Stater. So I kind of just, I like the overall additions that this team made in the offseason. Um... Let's get to some storylines. I've chatted enough about the roster, probably too much. And this is going to be another long episode, by the way. So buckle your seatbelt. You dirty shitbags. Storylines. Yeah, I'm old school. In case you heard that paper in the background, I wrote some stuff down. For me, and I think for a lot of people, it's always about the quarterback, right? I talked about Fitz, so I won't spend much time there. But how about Taylor Heineke? I mean, did anybody secretly say ooh and ah a bunch of times watching that wild card game against the Buccaneers? That was the late game. I'm sure that's the game that if you're not resonating with that feeling I just described, then it's probably because you fell asleep. But the the football team stayed in that game to the very end. And it was because of a surprise start in Taylor Heineke. Remember Alex Smith at the time? I think he had played, missed a game or two, played, and then missed a game. And it was the last regular season game. I believe I could have that timeline wrong, but it's in some sort of sequence similar to that. And then Taylor Heineke got some reps. Don't know if he started in the regular season, but I, I know he got some playing time. Didn't really wow anybody. But then they get to the wild card round. Oh, man, you guys are about to hear something joyful. Oh. Oh, Lord. Whew. God. Oh, man. Lost a little breath on that one. That was coming out one way or another. So I kind of wanted to make it a play. About to light a cigarette. Get rid of that stank. Because that's got some pungency to it. A little waff. Had a nice burger for dinner tonight. I had some... What the hell do you call that when you... Not sauteed. 
where you where you basically uh, you uh, marinate the onions for a long time and they get uh, caramelized. There you go. Jesus, my brain is mush nowadays. It's sad. I can either remember everything or nothing. But this burger's working its way all through my bowel system. So you may hear some periodic farts. If I could, if I could add some drama and some flair to them, I will. Sometimes I'll just sneak out. But I wanted to dramatize that one. But yeah, where were we? Taylor Heineke. Yeah. It's a little ironic. Heine. Little Heine noise. Heineke. Heine noise. Yeah. Anyway, let's light this cigarette. Then we'll talk about Tyler Heineke, who I'm excited about, by the way. And I think you should be too. Let's pause. This segment is brought to you by Marlboro Light Cigarettes. So Taylor Heineke. I wrote a stat line down. From the wild card round. 26 of 44. 306 passing yards. One touchdown. One pick. Six rushes for 46 yards and a rushing touchdown. This is what excites me. Like, I'm all for mobility at the quarterback position. I just tend to get into Twitter beefs and stuff like that. and Just arguments with people. When it's concerning quarterbacks who are being discussed in the top five, top 10. You know my whole take, if you listen to the previous episodes on Mac Jones. When, when you're undervaluing certain things that I find more value in, like intelligence, reading defenses, touch, understanding when to go back shoulder, when to go low, when to loft it over the linebacker, accuracy, stuff like that means more to me than the amazing physical traits. But if you have both, I like it. And being the Taylor Heineke, I believe they poached him from a practice squad or they just got him as a street free agent. I can't remember where he started his career. I think actually in Carolina. Yeah, I think Rivera brought him over as a street free agent when the coaching shifts happened in Carolina and Washington. When they started new regimes, Matt Rule goes to Carolina. Rivera goes to Washington, brings Heineke with him. I think he worked his way from the practice squad. And yeah, had to be. It was probably Dwayne Haskins, Kyle Allen, and Taylor Heineke as the third stringer. And by the end of the year, Heineke showed enough to get a start. I think played well. I watched the game. I like what I saw. I like this poise. I like this freaking poise. This guy had a little bit of moxie to him. Now, I'm not going to get all thrilled about, you know, anything off the field because there's kind of, you know, depending on how you are with things, there's other factors with Taylor Heineke that I won't discuss, but. Take it upon yourself to look further into the kid. There's no like horrible things to discuss here, so it's nothing serious. But, you know, as far as the football field goes, I like what I saw. He's on the shorter side. You know, you can even really comp him to Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, there's Moxie. 
there's a kind of chip on his shoulder, Baker Mayfield style, like gets up and spikes the ball in your face type of shit with them. Like he gives no fucks. I like this kid. I think he's accurate and he's athletic and he's confident. So I think those three things are nice to have. I don't think Kyle Allen really stands much of a chance. He might not even make the team. He probably will because I think I think the coaching staff likes him. Who's over? I think Scott Turner is the offensive coordinator. Yeah, Scott Turner. So maybe he sticks. Maybe they keep him as the third string. I don't know. But I don't think he stands a chance to start. I think it's going to be a real competition between Taylor Heineke, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and honestly, the best guy will win. But I think Taylor Heineke can flat out beat out Fitzpatrick um, if he wants it bad enough. Right? I mean, and that's a perfect situation for Washington. Fitz will take it as a pro. He will take that right on the chin, take the L, and say, guys, I'll be here. Magic or tragic, I'll be here, baby. Helmet in hand. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play today. That's his attitude. He's going to do what's best for the team, whether he wins the job, loses the job. I'm sure he wants that money, so he's going to compete like heck to win that job. But I also believe Heineke has that dog in him to really do what he needs to do from just a personal perspective, to, to give his best. And being that confidence is not an issue with him, I expect him to battle. Honestly, I expect him to win. So we'll see if I'm right or wrong, but I think they're interesting because of that dynamic, the, cute, the starter and the backup. I think you can count on both guys if injury were to occur or just one guy gets into a rut, throwing picks, doing bonehead shit. I think that's a nice one too. They play similar. You can kind of keep the offense the same. But that is the main storyline. Because we all know what Washington has on defense. We know the weapons on offense. They have enough to not just be a one-year thing. They can win this division. And I know historically, the NFC East, I don't think there's been a back-to-back division winner since the Donovan McNabb-Andy Reid Eagles. I could be wrong on that. Again, somehow that bug is stuck in my head. I remember hearing that recently. But it's interesting. So you probably don't bet on them to win the division because it's football. Crazy injuries happen and they decimate hope. They decimate the win column. And I think they'll fight. It's a Ron Rivera team. But I like the quarterback dynamic. When you, got, when you have a team like this and you're not certain what you have at quarterback, I like this situation. Any other storylines that I wrote down? No, I think that is the storyline. I didn't think they were worth as many minutes as I poured into them so far. But that's okay. It's only fair. The football team, they won the division. So I spent some time, probably too much time, definitely too much time, reviewing their offseason and previewing. I didn't spend enough time probably previewing in terms of projections, and I still really don't know how comfortable I feel going that route. I could look at the schedule, give you some opinions. We're at the 40-minute marker. I think this is a safe spot to stop, actually. 
this was going to be one episode. At least the original plan was this was going to be a one episode per division type deal, eight part series. I can already see. And I had a hunch that this was going to happen, but I can already see that I'm going to scratch that. We'll stop here. I'll break each team down into one segments. And hopefully I have enough team to finish or hopefully I have enough time to finish all 32 teams. And more than likely, I'll speed things up. I'm not going to lie to you. I was a little stoned on this episode. It's been a stressful time. Been a stressful time in my household. So, you know, life, what are you going to do? Money, stress. It probably hits me as hard as it hits anybody. And it's difficult getting in front of this microphone and, and having a laser focus. So we'll make this as good as we can make it. And I'll do my best. Glad you could tune in. We'll go on to the New York Giants on this next episode. We'll run through them. They're my most hated team. I hate Jersey. I hate Jersey kids. Not all of you. I don't want to discriminate, but not fond of Jersey people, Jersey life, Jersey teams. And the New York Giants are Jersey, so we'll breeze through them. Get to the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys as well on corresponding episodes. So glad you stuck through it. Hope you stuck through it. And uh, be well. Be safe out there. As always, love one another. Love conquers all, guys. See you next episode. Peace. Peace.